This is All India Radio. In the weekly program, Current Affairs. Now we bring you a discussion on Jammu and Kashmir Support to India on Global Forum. The participants are Shashi Ubantripathi, former diplomat, and Dr. Harshvardhan Pant, strategic analyst. Nilofar Roy Chaudhary, journalist, initiates and moderates the discussion. Ever since the Indian government abrogated Article 370 of the Indian Constitution in Jammu and Kashmir and constituted the border state into two different states of two different union territories of Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh, Pakistan has gone into some kind of hyperventilative mode and has tried to use every possible international forum to supposedly internationalize the Kashmir issue. Funniest part, of course, being that they never really supported Article 370 in the first place. They were desperately against it because the fact that it incorporated all of Jammu and Kashmir had them in a tizzy. So, unfortunately, things uh, do not seem to have worked very well with Pakistan's efforts to internationalize the issue. All of these efforts that Pakistan has been trying, what do you think at the end of the day the outcome might be, you know, either at the United Nations Security Council or at the European Human Rights Commission, the European Parliament, even the OIC, none of which seem to have succeeded. So Shashi, what do you think is the likely outcome of all of this? As we have seen, the global support for India on this subject has been overwhelming, except for a few muted voices here and there. On the whole, different countries and different organizations have supported India and India's stand that this issue is internal to India. It has no bilateral ramifications as such. As our external affairs minister said, this issue is entirely own internal matter and there have been no changes in any maps. There is no change in any boundary. So there is no need for any country hopper around and hyperventilate, as you said. However, Pakistan, considering that this was one objective, founded their entire foreign policy on, will not let the matter rest at this. Already they have failed in their attempts to internationalize it at the UN Security Council. There was, we all know what happened over there. And uh, in fact, the meeting was also held only at the instance of China and not of Pakistan. It was a closed-door meeting. There were no records of the meeting and there was no statement at the end of it. At the European Union, once again, the same no statements were issued. At the Geneva Human Rights Conference, there once again, their entire diatribe was demolished. So up to now, they have had really no success in marshalling support in the global world for this cause. But they won't rest at this because, as I said, this has been the one agenda for their foreign policy. And not just that, you see, they have fed their own people on this slogan of Kashmir Banega Pakistan. And the people are already questioning them, saying that uh, you better now tell us what is next. So I think they're in a very bad position. They're cornered. But uh, like a spoiled child, they're going on saying, if you don't give us the chocolates, we'll break the windows. So we have to wait and see. But I think maybe better sense will prevail. When they see that they have no hope of any support from outside, then don't forget that the FATF meeting is coming up on the 15th of October. And there, once again, their position is very precarious. So they'll be foolhardy if they carry on with this policy. Harsh, the fact that 
Pakistan didn't even manage to put in a request for a discussion on Jammu and Kashmir at the Human Rights Commission. The, the deadline went by yesterday. What exactly does that say to you? I mean, the UNGA is probably the only one forum left to them. What exactly does this say to you about the complete, I don't know, would you call it a failed policy that Pakistan is throwing up? Or what exactly does it say about the status of that country? It tells us that uh, something is terribly wrong uh, in the way Pakistan is operationalizing its Kashmir policy. For the first time, perhaps they are recognizing the limits of some of the bombastic claims that they've been making about Kashmir, both to their domestic constituencies as well as to their global interlocutors. That's where perhaps they overplayed their hand initially. When India decided to abrogate Article 370, a more measured response in hindsight would have yielded them much greater dividends. But by really ratcheting up the pressure from day one and saying as if this is a do and die battle for them, now they don't know where to how to roll this back. Mm -hmm. So where do they go from here? What they assumed was that somehow this was again a golden opportunity being presented to them by India. That Afghanistan issues being discussed, so America would support them. China already is in there, is a big support. And India, by putting Kashmir back on the global framework, would perhaps allow other parties to join in, in this discussion. And none of these assumptions actually worked, apart from the China factor, of course. So what we are now looking at is, is a Pakistan grappling up with multiple problems internally. You know, here is a country where milk is costlier than petrol. Now, they are having to debate the cost of chapati in the mm. cabinet meetings. So it's a really difficult crisis that they are facing. On top of that, none of the friends, so-called friends they had in the international system, are coming to their support. And I think in particular what they would the media is telling us every day, they're very annoyed with the with the Middle Eastern countries. Mm. UAE and the Saudis at the moment are really not doing very well in, the, in their estimation. Mm. But the reality is that that's how the world works. If you compare, for example, were the UAE and Saudis, you know, what they were saying for what the Chinese are doing in Sinkia. I mean, it's not as if there is no domestic shoe for this problem. But it's a real politic. You know, you just don't engage with major powers like this. Now, for a country where the entire economy of Pakistan today is smaller than the economy of Mumbai, for that country to now come to terms with this reality that, oh my God, what have we done and you know, India is going away, I think there has to be some post-factor rationalization mm. of the very reality that confronts them. Is, is this India is in a different league today. If Master was mentioning earlier that perhaps better sense would prevail, and I hope that if this sense prevails, that look, we are not in the same league. We can't play this game of India and Pakistan being similar countries on the similar stretch. It's not that. If the present situation jolts them from that slumber, perhaps it would be good for them, it would be good for us, it would be good for South Asia. Although it's very unlikely that mm. it might happen given the political-military establishment and given how they look at their identity question. One should be a bit more optimistic at times in these very dismal days and I think perhaps Pakistan would learn some lessons from this. But of course we now have to wait for the speech that Mr. Khan would deliver at the UNG where again he would come back and, and say all kinds of things and he has been saying the kinds of he things has, that he has I been mean, saying. The kinds of statements are the most irresponsible imaginable. How do you talk about nuclear warfare in today's day and age? I mean a climate catastrophe has already reached a point where everyone is so worried. On top of that, you add things like nuclear warfare and the region. Shashi, how exactly does a prime minister of a supposedly sovereign country, and he's not from with a, you know from an army background, how does he hyperventilate in this? It's incredible and it's quite uh, it's unbelievable that somebody at that position should make a statement like this. It only shows a certain kind of desperation on the one hand. On the other hand, as I said, it's like a spoiled child. 
that you know if you don't give in to what we say or remember the whole speech that Imran Khan gave and that was that if we lose in a conventional battle with India hmm. we might have to take recourse to the nuclear option hmm. they cannot win from India in a nuclear war so give the threat of a nuclear option now the other thing is that pakistan has always in the world got its identity as it were from being clubbed with india you know for a very long time it has been hyphenated with india pakistan and it took a very long time on the part of india to get that dehyphenated so they get attention from the world only when india comes into the picture that's also one point i've served in pakistan and i've seen how india is an obsession over there for everything india is the hallmark for good or for bad so you, that kind of an obsession is there that's number one number two is as uh, dr pat mentioned the army let's not forget the role of the army i mean their bread and butter depends on keeping this bogey of india and kashmir alive now if kashmir goes what happens to that bread butter and jam especially the jam so let's not forget that imran khan after all is only a puppet in their hands he may have been elected or whatever or selected as is being said now but he's a puppet in their hands so i don't think he would have made that kind of a statement without clearing it with the army so they must have said issue cardo threat i mean you know just issue it and we'll see how india reacts and how the rest of the world reacts so this already everybody said it's an irresponsible statement it's a very childish way of acting for a state which should act responsibly but they've never done that so how can we expect that they'll start doing now that's why i also think we have to wait and see the kind of speech that imran khan will make at the UNGA of course he is going to mention kashmir of course he is going to mention uh, human rights without realizing that the world today is not what it was in 1947 today communications are so good that every country knows what's happening everywhere else so the fact that pakistan today is the hub of terrorism is known to the entire world so i don't know how they can believe get away by talking about human rights when their own record is so bad how can they talk about terrorism when their own record is so bad hold that thought for a sec shashi it is quite interesting that you actually had the foreign minister of pakistan at the human rights council saying you should insist on going inside the indian state of jammu and kashmir <laughs> so the fact of the matter is that this it's almost as though a mirage that they were holding up all of these years has been removed for them i suppose rather an unfortunate situation to be in but it's very clear that india is not going to be pursuing this at the global level external affairs minister very clearly said that we have our agenda we have our vision of what the world should be and we are known for it as in information technology and it elsewhere our neighbor is known for other things harsh in this particular context why do you think the european parliament even agreed to take up this matter i mean why do you think that will that happen was that good or bad for us for the or did it sort of enhance our credibility as a democracy european parliament has traditionally taken up such matters in the past as well and what has gone in favor of india in the last few years is that the mood in the european parliament has been shifting in favor of india and i think that was also reflected in some of the discussions that happened and the statement that came out what used to be primarily an issue of human rights 
that look, Kashmir issue, India is the bad party here, India is the guilty party. Suddenly, you found a decade or so back that narrative shifted where it had to do with the fact that terrorism as a global problem was being seen in its multiple dimensions and terrorism had come to the West. So, as that happened, you saw Europe's approach to terror question shifting, primarily looking at it through the lens of human rights to one where national security issues became the predominant factor. The fact that they discussed it is good for India and I think wherever there is a discussion, we should encourage such discussions. Because the more such discussions happen, the more the reality of India's response in Kashmir would come to light. India may not have a perfect record on Kashmir, but India has a solid record on Kashmir. We have tried our best to make good out of a very difficult situation. So we have had, yes, you know, we have had democratic suspensions here and there. We have had troubles in the valley here at times. But look at the expanse. Look at how India has moved forward in building institutions from the bottom up. Even today, when we look at Panchayati Raj elections in Jammu and Kashmir, it's a solid achievement. And you compare that to what Pakistan is doing in its part of what we call Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. There is no respect for human rights when minorities, which they deem to be minorities, are being killed every day, incarcerated, reduced to second-class citizenship. And they have this audacity to tell India that, look, your human rights record is a problem. More discussion is good for India. And we have, I think, become more confident of ourselves in terms of handling such discussions. And we are doing a great job in global diplomacy. And what is also interesting is that Prime Minister and the top officials in this country have stopped taking Pakistan's name seriously. And I think that sends a very clear message. We don't want to talk about Pakistan. So I'm sure when Mr. Modi goes to UN General Assembly, he's not going to talk about Pakistan. He's going to talk about terrorism as a global problem, which international community should come together and, and solve. If you see what has his statements post the abrogation of Article 370, in none of the statements he has mentioned Pakistan. And I think that tells you a story about the confidence that India has today in its own ability to shape the narrative on Kashmir as well as handle the global interlocutors. That is the correct approach that India has taken. We should pursue it and right. persevere with. That is what we very successfully put up also at the UN Human Rights uh, Commission in Geneva. The fact that you had a Kashmiri officer coming up and saying, you know, don't preach to us about what is happening on human rights. You are the people who have been perpetrating the worst form of of human rights abuse by terrorism coming into this country. Now, so the narrative then moves from human rights to terrorism. What And the issue now has become one of development of Kashmir and making it, as the Prime Minister said yesterday, a paradise. On, on Sunday, Prime Minister will be addressing the probably the largest sort of mega event of that he's ever done in the United States. What kind of message do you think goes out when... President of the United States comes and joins the Indian Prime Minister at an issue of that scale in the United States. Shashi, what do you think that sends? I'm not just talking Pakistan here. Mm-hmm. I'm talking globally. I think the message that goes across is very clear. And the message is that India has acquired a certain stature in the world community whether it is as a democratic country or more so as an economic powerhouse. India has arrived on the global stage for the President of the U.S. to travel all the way to Houston. Of course, he has his own agenda also because his elections are coming up next year. And where will he find a captive audience of 50,000 people who are high-paying citizens of his country? So he can do with some votes there. But having said that, I think it is very important that he is there because he wants to show that the new relationship 
that has developed between India and the US and it is not a simple relationship it's a strategic relationship which has been nurtured over these last many years for now to take its full form so the message that goes out is a very positive one to the indian community there to the global community and back to india also this event is really worth looking forward to it's a matter of pride for all of us to see the kind of position that india has today taken on the world stage i mean there was a time when in the us why just us all over the western world india was referred to as the poor country or the sick man of asia trudeau's father said that once about india sick man of india, of asia that sick man of asia is today one of the leading economies of the world this is a message that will go across to the world and it's a very positive message harsh there's been a lot of talk about India deciding to you know move somewhat swiftly perhaps some people have called it on abrogation of article 370 because of the speed at which the United States and the Taliban were coming to close to an agreement would that be a correct assessment that India's decision to do away with article 370 has something to do with the, with the fact that the regional realities were seemingly undergoing a profound transformation the fact that mr trump had indicated he was willing in, in that time to have that negotiated settlement with the taliban meant that india then would have been alone in fending for its interests which would have meant that if the when the crunch came the focus of the jihadi elements would be entirely on india after pushing out america the great superpower from the south asian hinterland that would have put enormous strain on india's ability to manage its frontiers which were already which are already frayed the decision had to do with multiple things but it was in some ways accelerated by this decision of america to come to an understanding with the taliban now what is interesting in this is that by on this issue of kashmir on this issue of a sort of regional transformation you can expand it from kashmir to afghanistan as well india has for a long time been the reactive party because of our situation we, we would react to what others were doing by moving fast on kashmir india for once forced others to rethink their assumptions about the region so it was not simply that pakistan was being forced to rethink if you recall taliban made a very interesting statement saying when pakistan started linking it up they said don't link it up it's kashmir is very different and there's nothing to do with afghanistan they thought that this is this entirely changes the game for them just strategically it was a smart move by capturing those realities in a way that forced our in other interlocutors to respond to our developments and therefore you know the question with which we started from why is it that pakistan got it so wrong because the gaming that they had done that as part of that gaming they had never assumed that india would ever go down this route and i think that's a fundamental problem when you start assuming too much about your adversary and that you think oh this is how they are going to behave then that adversary or when the other partner changes the track then you are in for a long fall and i think that's the fall that they are facing today and it's also very interesting that the entire two nations theory then again comes up for a critical look because pakistan's entire attempt always has been that this is a communal issue and india is kind of suppressing the minorities in jammu and kashmir major islamic states of the world i mean the whole organization of islamic countries is completely supporting you how do we deal with a neighbor that forget about seeing the reality i mean has conjured up all of these mirages which do not work at any angle 
No, they are like an ostrich. Their head in the sand. It's very sad. Don't see reality. The two-nation theory was dead the moment Bangladesh was born. After that, to keep beating, flogging that dead horse didn't make much sense, really. As Mr. Pansa said, the shock and awe of this whole business of abrogating 370, that took everyone by surprise, but it took them completely by surprise and it shook the very foundations on which they were standing vis-à-vis -vis India. You're asking, what do we do with a neighbor like that? Let me tell you, the mindset also matters. And the mindset there, especially in the armed forces, not in the people. The people, I think, are really more concerned with their day-to-day -day livelihood. But in the armed forces, mindset is, number one, that they have to take a revenge for 71. Number two, of course, that the bogey of India as an enemy has to be there so that they keep enjoying their privileges and their position in that society. I mean, they are the elite of that society. You have to see how they live to be able to gauge what their power is like. And today, the armed forces in Pakistan are not just a fighting force. They are a corporation. They run a whole series of businesses and industries. So they are all very well off and all that paraphernalia which they have created for themselves will be demolished. The moment this business of Kashmir goes away, all they become friends with us. In fact, somebody told me in Karachi once, he said, So people also realize what the reality is. And now, I think it's encouraging to see that there are some voices in civil society which are speaking up. I don't know if you notice this, but I have been following their TV programs and some of their writings. And I find that people are becoming more critical of their government. They don't mention the army. They don't say anything about the armed forces. But they talk about the political uh, dispensation. They talk about uh, Imran Khan personally. And they are very critical. And this never happened before. There was one program on their television in which the anchor listed the terrorist attacks that happened different places of the world and how they were back to Pakistan. That was a big thing, I thought, for them to enumerate all that on air, kind of. But I don't know, because you see, as I said, the stakes for the armed forces are very high in this. So will they let go? We have to see. Harsh, the whole issue of how we now go ahead with Jammu and Kashmir and the development thereof, does that... Uh, the governor of JNK has recently said that, you know, seeing the levels of development, POK would probably want to come and join India. Now, now that clearly is something that Pakistan is extremely alarmed about. Where is that particular trajectory headed? India's abrogation of Article 370 has put a lot of balls up in the air. This point, we, there's no clarity in, in that sense as to how this might all end up. Because it has exposed Pakistan's internal dynamic, it has also shattered some of the assumptions that both we held in India and they held there in Pakistan. Now, going forward, if India is able to deliver on the developmental promises that it is making, it can be a game changer because, after all, there has been a demand for good governance. First and foremost, people of Jammu and Kashmir have always wanted good governance. And that is something that has been lacking. Now, if you change the level of governance from top down to bottom up, if you bring in the Sarpanches and the Gram Panchayats into fray, and then you build a political architecture which actually serves the interests of the region, 
then perhaps you can see the green shoots of not only peace but also for larger sort of an ecosystem which will incorporate cross border trade cross border engagement as well after all these were the parameters around which many of those who claim that they have a formula to solve the problem also revolved we said we want cross border engagement we free flow of trade free flow of people etc now that can only happen if the ecosystem if the if the financial and the developmental aspects of the situation are taken in under control and therefore i think for government in new delhi it was imperative to have that kind of a control because unless you have that control you won't be able to deliver so my sense is that if that happens if those promises are kept then certainly pok becomes more receptive to us after all as i said it during this program Pakistan's economy today is smaller than Mumbai's economy so we have to look at it in that perspective it's a terrible mess and it's a very unfortunate situation for any government to be in and and, and it's not sort of it is extremely unfortunate that they've brought this very largely upon themselves and that's the other problem but developmental economics that we hope to achieve and and the good governance that we hope to be able to give ensure in Jammu and Kashmir when do you think the pace of this might improve so that we can showcase a lot more of what we have achieved not just in the international community but within india as well you see 70 years have passed and we are trying to now redress what has happened in 70 years so it will take time not another 70 years one hopes but it will take time the one thing that we have to remember and we have to follow is that the promises that we make and there i think i'm reiterating what dr pan said the promises that have been are being made to kashmir are followed up on because you know to say one thing and then not do it that would be the worst thing ever number 1 number 2 as soon as the situation comes under control it has been now 44 45 days and it may may take a little longer but it's better this way because then at least you are not in confrontation with the population and as somebody or the other said that we have not fired a single bullet mm-hmm. that is commendable so if the pace is slow because we don't want to fire another bullet that's okay mm-hmm. we can go with a slower pace but we must see that we follow up on our promises number 2 some irresponsible statements that are made by some of our so called leaders you know are really counterproductive to say that uh, kashmir is now ours so let us all make a beeline for kashmir and buy houses there or whatever and it's so irresponsible really and married the beautiful very cru- very crude and this is one way of frightening the local population so the problem is really not that great because just think in jammu you have a big support system in ladakh you have a support system even in kargil you have the shia muslims of kargil saying they want to be a union territory by themselves so it is just the valley now but it's a critical phase now abrogating it was quick now is the critical stage and this is where we have to move very cautiously pant what do you think the way forward should be at this stage so far i would agree that the fact that we have not had a uh, direct confrontation with the local population is a good sign and uh, perhaps that's the pace that the government in new delhi is comfortable with gradually as we remove the restrictions as delivery systems become more effective are we 
delivering on the commitments that we have made and those commitments are important because those commitments have been made in the parliament by our home minister and by, by top leadership of this country they are a paradigm shift at least in so far as we can see this is a shift from the old to the new and that is you know while some people may have some misgivings there is also a lot of expectation that look 70 years nothing was done at least the status quo has been changed and something would be delivered we really can't afford to lose that mo- this moment it is very crucial for india it is very crucial for jammu and kashmir and it is very crucial for the region because there's a larger regional dynamic here as well we need to see what's going to happen at the united nations general assembly of course as it's coming up but i think it's pretty clear that india at this point has managed to acquire the high ground and retain that hopefully and uh, going ahead things uh, should improve in leaps and bounds thank you both very much for joining us today you were listening to a discussion on jammu and kashmir support to india on global forum the participants were shashi ubantrapathi former diplomat and dr harshvardhan pant strategic analyst nilova roy choudhury journalist initiated and moderated the discussion this program was produced and presented by the news services division of all india radio you can also listen to this program on our website newsonair.com you may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalks@gmail.com at